Welcome to Improving Intimacy, a podcast to help single and married Latter-day Saints strengthen their family connections and marriages. Daniel A. Burgess is the host of Improving Intimacy. Daniel's a marriage and family therapist, father, husband, and author. Here's Daniel on this episode of Improving Intimacy. Welcome to another episode of Improving Intimacy. Today, I'm excited to have uh, a special guest with us, Carrie Ferguson, who is the author of OCD Mormon. Ooh, did I get the title right? The o- OCD Mormon. And I'm curious, have you have you even been interested or uh, wanting to change the title now with the whole name change? Or have you felt like, no, I'm going to accept this? What is... I'm curious about that title. What have you, right. what has been your thoughts? We, we published it and then, cause that's what my blog was called before. And then, yeah. Yeah, then they had the whole, like, don't call yourselves Mormons. And I don't know, you know, we were just like, ah, whatever, I guess that was like who I was known as. Is that at yeah. that point that it was just, I don't know. <laughs> well, it, it, in the con. Yeah. It's good for my scrupulosity as well in a weird way. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I have to keep it that I'm bucking against what the church tells me to do, you know, says it. (laughs) Yeah. This is, this is your form form of exposure therapy here. Okay. I got to accept it. Yeah. It's out there. Well, I'm excited. I I've been thinking about this a lot and, and you and I were talking offline just a minute ago about, you know, why didn't I find you until now? In fact, when when did you publish the book? How many? It how came ago? out in September of 2017. Okay, so not too long yeah, ago. About three, four years ago now. Yeah. And uh, a friend of mine who, uh, so for my audience who doesn't know, I, I actually deal with a large amount of anxiety, something I've actually been coming to terms with it, or rather discovering more over the most recent years here and uh, have been reaching out to some friends and family and I've made a good friend with with someone, and uh, we were talking about this this morning about, you know, let's write our story about this. And he's like, "Ah, this is so triggering for us," right. uh, and and I don't know if I can. I've gotten myself into a good place, and I'm curious. So let's let's start off there. We'll get into some of the meat here, and I, I have some quotes from your book that I really really valued. I want to start off that way, kind of. Uh, what motivated you to to write this book, especially with somebody who struggles with anxiety right. and putting your story out there? <laughs> For sure. How, what made you decide to do that? Yeah, well, I've always been a writer. So that's kind of how I, you know, emotionally process things, I guess. So just for me, that was the logical step, I would say. But um and I went through, you know, like I wrote in the book, I went through a really intense, you know, OCD breakdown, we'll say, <laughs> without knowing what it was. And then I finally got help with the help of my husband and therapy and medication. And I, you know, I made a, a friend at church who also has obsessive compulsive disorder. And so we had been talking about it. Um, and I just, I thought, you know, there are a lot of people in our religion who have anxiety, who have these problems, Mm -hmm. but we don't know what to call it. We don't know what it is. We don't even know that it's a mental illness really. And I thought, you know, I'm going to start a blog um, just about that, about having this issue as a Latter-day Saint 
And maybe I can help some people because for me, like if I had known 10 years before, it would have been a lot easier, you know, if I had realized fully what it meant and how I could get help, it would have changed, you know, my whole, my whole married life and my mission and everything. So I thought, you know, I can use my skill that I have, my writing in order to help other people. So I started the blog, I think it was in like, I don't know, 2016, summer, and so, you know, I, I just did that and it got it's sort of popular. I mean, not like huge or anything, not viral, but, um, you know, enough that I was like, you know, I could write a book about this. And so I started just in general of like mental illness and Latter-day Saints. And, and then on, on Twitter, I had this friend who's a, who was a LDS author named Medi Harrison. And so um, she kind of was my mentor and helped me really form the book. And she's like, no, you need to go into your story personally. Like, don't be general. Don't talk about, you know, that's too much. That's too broad. Yes. <laughs> it's like, like all mental illnesses and LDS faith. So her, she really was like, no, focus in. This is what you're known for. Like, write about having OCD and like your story. So, so I did. And yeah, Cedar Fort um, said, yeah, this is great. The, the person who read my submission had a sister, I think, with scrupulosity. And so she was like, yes, this is, we, we need this in the church and in the, you know, discourse. Well, I, I want to explore more because uh, you made it sound so easy to, to get this written here. And I, I'm yeah. confident, even though I don't know your story yeah. uh, in, in getting the book published, right. yeah. uh, I'm, a, I'm assuming it wasn't that simple or easy. Uh, but let's, let's define this for the audience here. We've said a couple of times this word scrupulosity in, in, in OCD. Uh, explain. What is what is OCD and what is scrupulosity? How are they the same and how are they different? Okay. Um, OCD, obviously, obsessive compulsive disorder. So you have, by nature, you have these thoughts um, that keep coming and then it leads you to do things um, in order to like make yourself feel better. So like, for instance, um, you have a thought like my hands are dirty. Mm -hmm. um, and so you say, okay, well, I have to wash my hands. But then your brain says, oh, well, you didn't wash them well enough. And so then you have to keep washing your hands or you touch something and then, oh, your hands are dirty. You have to wash your hands again. So it's this kind of call and response where your, your brain is saying, oh, something's wrong, something's wrong. And then you physically, um, there's even mental OCD as well, where they do like mental compul yes. compulsions. So it doesn't have to be a physical compulsion, but anything that you do to try and relieve these thoughts that you're having, if it's like enough that it's causing you, um, you know, a disturbance to your life, to your day, to your, you know, to what you, to your life, then it becomes, you know, OCD where it's a disorder and you need, you should get treatment or help. Um, it interferes with your life. Yeah. If it interferes with your life. Exactly. Um, and then scrupulosity specifically is a type of OCD. And that's something I didn't really know at first was that there were different types of OCD because people just throw around OCD so flippantly, like, oh, I yes. like my books organized, I'm so OCD. But it's not an adjective. It's a it's a disorder. <laughs> it's serious. Um, so yeah, I didn't realize there were so many different types until I went to therapy and people were telling all their different stories. And I was like, oh my gosh, all these things are OCD that I've had. <laughs> but scrupulosity is religious OCD, basically. And so it has to do with maybe worthiness or you know things like oh i'm not good enough or oh i'm not worthy to go in the temple or oh i you know i shouldn't have said that thing or you know anything that relates to our our religious upbringing and our um 
you know, thoughts there. But wait, but wait, wait, wait a second. You just, <laughs> you just described empathy, right? right? So how is, you know, I'm, I said something wrong. I may have hurt somebody's feelings. Yeah. What's the difference between right. empathy and, and, and reasonableness in, yeah. in repentance? So what's the difference? Help, help the listener know. Yeah. You know, that's something my therapist and I talked about and he was not, he's not LDS, but you know, he said, it's so hard with scrupulosity and people who deal with that because a lot of times for them, it's like the therapist versus God and like, who is going to win that? Obviously God is going to win that. Right. For a religious person, you're going to say, no, I, this is like the spirit telling me I'm doing something wrong and I need to repent. Um, So it can be really difficult to say, okay, you know, where is this line? that um, between like, this is a mental illness and it's telling me I'm doing everything wrong and I actually am doing something wrong and I need to repent and change. So it's it's really, it's really difficult. Um, For me, uh, my OCD really started with scrupulosity like back in college. And yeah, I just thought it was, you know, I'm having a come to Jesus moment and I'm realizing all these horrible things I'm doing wrong. Um, And so I really, I beat myself up and I, you know, so many, so many issues. Like I couldn't be alone really. Cause I was, I was worried and my brain would just keep going. And I would say, well, I have to fast like on this random Thursday because I need help. And it, you know, nothing was helping. Um, I would take a nap and I, I remember one time I had like sleep paralysis, which I'd never had before where like you, you can't like right. your body can't move. Um, it was like something like, this is not normal. Um, and so I don't know. I think I, I realized that then that something wasn't normal, but I didn't actually get help until like 10 years later. I did go on medication then. Wow. Um, but yeah, I didn't really understand what it was or the other things it could cause. So yeah, so it is really difficult. Um, I think if you're, you know, if you know, you know, Mormons, we tend to know, or LDS, sorry. <laughs> we tend to know like what is right and wrong, right? And um, if you're really pushing yourself past like the normal right and wrong you know if you're like worried about every single thing and it's it's so bad to the point where you you feel like you can't be alone or that's all you think about or you're so worried and you know that god hates you or or whatever you know these are kind of warning signs that you probably have a problem and you should get help because you not feel like that god does not want you to feel like you're a terrible person all the time that's not that's not what heavenly father wants for us so if you are feeling like that, that's, that's an excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's an excellent point. And, and I think it's, you're right. You, yeah. it, this is one of the most difficult things, mm-hmm. uh, mental health issues to identify within our faith, because it's one of the, it's one of the few mental health, uh, uh, struggles that we actually praise. Uh, yeah. so for example, we, we re- reinforce scrupulosity a lot in the church and we idolize people uh, who have it. We don't even know that they have it, or they may not even recognize they have it. it. Usually it's in the context of, I study the scriptures for two hours a day. I pray for 30 minutes twice a day. Um, <laughs> it's not healthy, really. No, it's not healthy, but yet it, it's the focus. When we see people like that, we admire them. We right. we often say, wow, I wish I had that. It, let right. me clarify. These are non-scholars, non-BYU professors, non religious right. teachers. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's one thing to have a, yeah. a, sorry. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, 
after realizing this, I like read through the Book of Mormon and I'm like, oh man, you know, like Jacob, I, I worry about Jacob. I, I feel like he probably had, I mean, he even says that he has like my great anxiety of faith and great anxiety in my soul, you know, I'm like, you feel bad for it, you know, because they probably were dealing with these things, even Enos, right? Like praying all day and all night, like, I don't know. You know? <laughs> like, maybe I've even thought, yeah, I love, I love that you bring that up because I've even thought about Nephi's uh, 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 prayer or his poem. It's "Oh wretched man that I am," and I'm like, right. "Holy cow!" This it's been around the whole time. We just didn't have the words to describe it. Um, even my my therapist said, I think Martin Luther, you know, they think had OCD. You know, the, who's, who began basically the whole Protestant Reformation, <laughs> which makes sense. You know, he was like very worried about everything, and so. I don't know. You know, it's, it's good and bad. (laughs) It is. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a fine line because I I, clearly there's nothing wrong with people who want to study the scriptures for two or three hours a day. And that's not, that's, I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it like going back to your earlier definition, it's when it it interferes with your life. One of the measurements I use is if you place those, concepts of perfection right. above your loved ones yes. and above your relationship with God. Yeah. And, and you base your relationship off of, uh, with God off of those, those measurements, right. you may have scrupulosity. Yes. Yes. No, I totally, I totally agree. And that's, that's the point it gets to. And, you know, I, like I said, for me, I wish it had gotten, I realized that it was scrupulosity and so I didn't have to like, the OCD didn't branch out into other areas of my life because it did, you know, because the OCD, if you get used to it in one way, it will try and get you in another way eventually. So, yes, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a Personally, tricky thing. Yeah. I don't know if I would define myself having elements of, uh, of scrupulosity, but as somebody who does battle with anxiety and ADHD, yeah. my personality type is very different from what those we tend to admire in the church, somebody who going back to that example of routine scripture study and sitting out, I used to force myself and judge my worthiness based off of my ability to perform like somebody else. Let's use the word uh, uh, neurotypical person. When I came to grips that my form of study and prayer takes on a very different look than somebody who's neurotypical. It was a breath of fresh air and to be okay with that. um, The way I study, the way I pray, uh, I felt closer to God immediately when I put off this, you know, I I used, it it gets me upset now when I get people who bear their testimony says, if you study the scriptures, the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning, you will be closer to God. I go, nope, that's number one way to upset me and draw me further away from God. Yes, everyone, it's so, that's so true. We all worship in different ways. And that, I think that's meant to be, you know, but we, for some reason in the church have taught, like, this is the way you do it. And so, yeah, for me, it was like with the scrupulosity, it was like, I felt so much duty, like, my relationship with the church was really just like, I have to do these things because this is what I've committed to do. And this is how you get to heaven. And so it was very like, this is my duty that I have to do this, if that makes sense. Um, it wasn't so much out of love. You know, I had, I have testimony, but it wasn't like, 
I'm doing this because I love the savior, you know, or so necessarily, you know, the first and foremost was like, okay, this is what I have to do because this is what God expects me to do. And this is what I've covenanted with him to do. And like my family, you know, to have an eternal family, they're relying on me to, you know, stay true. And all of these things, it was like all this pressure that like, you have to keep doing, you know, it in a certain yes. way, but it's really unhealthy. And you get to a point where you're just like, I can't, like I can't anymore, you know? And you have yes. to realize like, maybe you don't have to accept every single calling or maybe, you know, you don't have to be, the perfect ministering sister or brother, because like I'm an introvert and that's like, you know, it's hard for me to do certain things, but other things I can do really well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even like listening to general conference, I like, I don't get much out of it, but like reading it, I can, where my husband's basically the opposite because he has, you know, ADHD. So yeah, everyone is different and it's, it's fine. That's, we're made this way. It's not, it's not a sin to have, you know, mental illnesses or, you know, developmental differences or differences of any kind. Yeah. So I'm going to read off of page seven in your book. Okay. I, what um, was, it, it touched me to just, uh, I struggle um, to put words into what I experience on this. Again, yeah. I may have some degree of scrupulosity as I look more and more inward um I don't think I fit the classic definition, definitely. But uh, it, again, it may be more of my anxiety and ADHD, just the differences in approach. But I loved what you said here on page seven. It says, I spent evenings alone wanting to burst into tears, but not feeling like it would do any good. I questioned why God would let me end up here alone. I wondered why I felt guilty and why I worried about every single thing. I was at a loss for what to do with myself. Uncertainty ate away at my sanity. And I thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown at any second. Um, last year, I did. <laughs> and um, it, it was a surprise because I have always coped what I would have said well with my anxiety. I think because, ironically, my ADD allowed me to break free of rigidity. Right. Um, and, and I actually think uh, I was blessed with, with ADHD be, for that reason. I, I don't know if blessed is the right word because right. um, no. that's not fair to others, but yeah. um, it, it definitely allowed me to cope. But um, I fortunately have a wife who is like, tell me, share with me. And I never felt like I could. It's like, you really want to know what's going on in here. And yeah. as I share now, she's like, Oh, this is, this is what, in fact, if yesterday, uh, yeah. Sunday, I was having a really bad day. And, and when we came home from church, we're, we're going to church now. Yeah. And I told her, I said, I can't even be touched. I can't, this is, this is, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I have to go isolate myself. Good. And she goes, Oh my goodness. I had no idea. I says, yeah. This is how I've pretended for so long. Are you wanting me to share this with you? I have felt alone, even in the midst of the most beautiful support system, right. because I don't feel like people could relate to me. When I read that paragraph, yeah. it tells me, you know exactly what that was like. Yes. Yeah. Share with me. Well, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, let, let me formulate that question a little bit better here. You said earlier, mm -hmm. you, 
well, in general, you have so much insight right now about why you did things and you wish you'd known this 10 years earlier. But the truth of the matter, most people with scrupulosity will not receive that information. Do you feel, because as I look at this and I say, if somebody told me 10, 15, 20 years ago, I would have said, what are you talking about? Uh, Even with just anxiety. Right. Do you feel like you would have listened to your, you 10? No, no. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting when I was writing the book, um, I got out my old journals and I had journaled through college basically. And so I was reading from this time period of when it went, when it went down, you know, like when it was really bad, like I wrote about there and I was just reading like, oh my gosh, you know, and then I read about how I went back to BYU. I was doing an internship at the time in Seattle. Um, and so I went back to BYU and went to the health center. So I was like, I'm going to, you know, I need to get help of some kind. My mom's a nurse. So she was like, just go to the health center and tell them. And I had written down in my journal, like I went to the health center and they told me I had, I had obsessive compulsive disorder. And I was like, what? Like I knew they told me. Um, so exactly like I was told, but it just like, it went over my head. They didn't really, they must not have explained, or I wasn't ready to accept that that's what I had. I don't know. And that's how I got on medication was that, that visit. But like, I literally, until I reread it, that journal, you know, years later, I was like, what they told me? I didn't, I didn't know. Like I I literally, it it didn't yeah, come to me. So that's that's your answer. They did tell me, and I was like, no, no, I'm not gonna. Yes, it, there, yeah. So, so I guess the the next question is is yeah. this is what I what I I think is the most difficult aspect about this is one being able to recognize that this yeah. is actually a problem. Right. We've reinforced this within our church culture yeah. to idolize, admire, and even encourage yes. uh, this type of behavior, thinking it's good. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, I get a lot of pushback when I identify this, especially around sexual sexuality, yes. uh, which is what I deal with the majority of the time, uh, is, is, are you telling me not to listen to the prophets? Are you telling me to not be perfect? How, how would you recommend, knowing what you know now, to talk into, I, I realize we can't convince people, but right. what are your thoughts? How, how would you yeah. go about helping people recognize this? Yeah. You know, it is, it is so hard. And, um, when I was like writing the book and publishing it, I was really society president at the time as well. So it was like, also, you know, I had this overwhelming, you know, calling, but, um, and so I, I, I was able to talk with a lot of sisters and realize, um, like, oh, they have, you know, mental health problems. And the ones who did and knew, you know, they felt more comfortable talking to me because I was so open about my mental health issues. And so it was actually a benefit having, you know, that openness. So I don't know, it's, I think those of us who do have mental health issues need to be more open at church about it and more vocal about it. Um, because then those those people who who do have it, but maybe don't realize it, can start saying, oh, you know, like, oh, I recognize that in myself or, oh yeah, I've done that. And then, you know, you get that seed planted and it does take, you know, years sometimes for people to be diagnosed with 
anxiety or, you know, OCD. Anxiety is more when people are like, oh, yeah, I have anxiety. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Everybody seems like, you know, they, they, they were, they're willing to admit that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. So for me, it's like, it's, it's an acceptable mental health issue. It's an acceptable. Exactly. Where scrupulosity is like, no, that's good. And you're like that. So I think also of church leadership, which they've done a lot better recently, um, really begins to, to say like, okay, this is an issue that we have and, you know, stating, stating it and coming out and being really just, yeah, really transparent about it. Um, and it's okay. And, you know, this is, you know, we don't want to be like this. We want to get help. You know, <laughs> like it's not good to be obsessed about being worthy or perfect. Um, I think as like the more, you know, the higher ups start to, to talk about it more, it will become something that people are like, oh, okay. Um, you know, and Elder Holland gave a great talk a couple of years ago about that. He's great. They've done Ensign articles, you know, about these things as well. So they are, they are working on it, I feel like. Um, we did a conference called um, Anxiety Disorders and Mormonism um, shortly after the book was published. And so that was great. And I think we had church, you know, leadership there from some department. I don't know. So, you know, kind of probably checking up on us, seeing like, are they really teaching good things? But also I hope it helped them to realize like this is oh, an issue. Wow. And it was sold out, this conference at the Joseph Smith Memorial Building. And, you know, this is something in the church that we need to talk about more. So, yeah, I don't know. Oh my goodness. Um, yes. So just- I, I, I think that's what's interesting here is is, and I apologize, I think we're on a slight delay here, so I don't mean to be talking over you. Uh, you've published this book uh, now three years ago, or four years ago, and this is the first time I'm hearing it, right. and I'm a mental health professional, and to your point, I am surprised. I am absolutely baffled why you haven't been on, and, and this is not a criticism to my, my colleagues, no. uh, but I am surprised that you haven't been on every mental health uh, <laughs> podcast in the LDS community, uh, being that this is such an important topic and, and it is related to anxiety, depression. Even yeah. if you don't have scrupulosity specifically, this yeah. is prevalent yeah. in the church. Yeah. And so you're right. This needs to get out. And so if, if I could do my part and I agree with you, there's, there's kind of a paradox because yeah. as you said, and I 100% agree, the yeah. upper leadership need to be talking about it more, yeah. but that's also kind of fueling the problem. We're waiting for our yeah, leaders of authority to yeah. say, this is what you need to do. It's true. And you know, there is this divide, I think, with a lot of church members. Um, like I did a book signing at a church bookstore in Washington after the book came out. And I, you know, I was sitting there and I had the books and I, I heard someone walking by like, oh, OCD Mormon, you know, like, uh, like, oh, that's, you know, that doesn't matter. OCD doesn't really? matter. Yeah. I was like, I'm right here. <laughs> so, but you know, it is one of the, um, specifically OCD is one that people don't, really realize it's a real mental health disorder if that sounds that sounds terrible but it's it's true because we use it so flippantly the OCD term so I don't know yeah it's it's really hard I think anxiety is an easier one and people will say like okay yeah you have anxiety um but all the mental illnesses really are so cor- comorbid with each other where you can have one and the other they kind of like to to you know pair up and be friends <laughs> which is not fun. Yes. So, so yeah, like I have, you know, I have OCD, but I also do have anxiety generally. 
Um, I've been, you know, having suicidal thoughts before because of all of these things. So they really, they all go hand in hand and they can get so deep if you don't address them and cause other, you know, problems and cause even like physical problems. You know, like one time I, I thought I was having a heart attack, um, after my, my breakdown in college. And so I had to go and like do EKG, you know, testing. So I, I thought I was having a heart attack. So I've been there. Yeah. It's, it's like, if you're having these things, like there's something wrong and let's, you know, let's get help because it's, it's available and, and it's, it's great. Um, you know, when I went to BYU health center and they, they just gave me the medication and it, there wasn't, as I remember, you know, not really a discussion about other options. Um, and I think a lot of us do want just like, okay, give me the drugs and I'll be fine. We don't want to like put in the work and put in the time because we're so busy too in the church. We're so busy. You know, we have all these callings and we have our kids and we have, you know, this and the school and all and jobs. And it's like, when do I have time to go to a therapist? You know, like what, when am I going to do that? But it's so. We need an immediate solution. Yeah. We want the immediate solution. And you know, the, the medication is great. It helps kind of take it down a notch at least for me. And I don't know for you, if you're on, you know, anything, but like being in therapy just helps you understand like why and you know, what, what it really is and how you can behaviorally take care of it and get better. And when it comes up in other areas, you recognize it more than just like taking a medication. Um, it really, yeah, therapy is, is so important and it's so hard to get for some people, you know, it's, it's hard to find the right therapist. It's hard to get an appointment with a therapist and, these are things that are also obstacles and that are huge. Yeah. And one, and you address this in the book very well. I'm so, I have so many questions. This is such an <laughs> exciting topic for me. So let me, let me organize my thoughts here because yeah. you, you brought up this and you talk about this in the book uh, uh, yeah. really well too. Is it's one thing to find a therapist and to find a therapist who really knows how to address this. Yes. But before, be, before I ask that question, um, I want to talk about a nuance around this. And one of the things that really prevents, I believe, prevents us from, at least in, in the church community, mm-hmm. that uh, is recognizing we need help is what we perceive as the spiritual. And I'm curious, because I don't remember you talking about this in the book, or, or at least bringing it up, okay. is the, what we perceive as the spiritual reward we get when we are following our scrupulosity. I often hear people will say, you know, are you telling me this is a mental illness? I, when I, when I read, uh, you know, for two hours a day, I pray uh, repetitiously. Yeah. I feel closer to the Lord. Right. That, I mean, that's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. How do we, how do, is that, is that something you experienced? And if you did, how did you address it? Yeah. I mean, it, it is something that is so hard and I, I've been doing research for a different project about generational differences in worship. Um, and so I was reading articles and there's actually, they're doing um, experiments and they actually used LDS people, which I thought was great, um, for these experiments about neuro, neuroscientists and neurologists are doing this about how our brain reacts to religion. Like your, I read this article mm-hmm. called like Your Brain on God. Um, and this doctor, great article out of uh, uh, University of Utah. Yeah, yeah. And just basically how our brain over probably over the thousands of years since we, we came up with religion um, you know, our brains have become, yeah, 
religion helps, you know, it turns on different parts of our brain, like the, yeah, the responses like for pleasure, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, like cause and effect. We're like, ooh, yeah, so we pray and we feel better about it. And it's like, it's literally hardwired into our brain to feel that way now um, with religious experiences, especially for LDS people, apparently. So yeah, like if you talk about God or something, in the experiment, you probably know as well, you know, as well as I do, but yeah, like they're, they were happier. And so it really is part of our brain, but it's just like a drug where you can get addicted to that um, in a way. And that sounds awful, right? Like probably people will be like, oh, you can't say you're addicted to, you know, to religion. Like it's not bad. It's good. But, you know, God also says like moderation in all things. And for the average person, average, you know, LDS individual, like God, I don't think he wants us praying two hours a day or reading two hours of scriptures a day. Like there's so many, mm-hmm. we, you know, he wants us to be with our family and enjoying the, the earth and, you know, being good examples out of our, out of our own home. Um, so it's, it's hard. It's really, <laughs> I don't know if I answered any questions. It is hard. It, it's hard. Yeah. You did. It, 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 and actually it, that research, I'm glad you brought it up because it's one that I've written about and, we talk a lot about, you bring it up, it's like a drug. It actually shows something quite the opposite. And this is what I mean. We've been doing a lot of brain scans around people who are behaviorally addicted to like pornography or these other things, forms of media. And they found that this brain response of studying the scriptures and following the leaders or reading quotes from the prophets uh, lit up the brain in a similar way as those who look at porn. Right. And so what we've been identifying, what some of the best uh, researchers have been identifying is there's something else going on yeah. that's beyond this chemical addiction, which is not like a drug, actually. Okay. It's yeah. what we are creating in our in our belief system, what we're expecting to receive from it. And so what we're identifying is we need to redefine how we experience those relationships. Right. And so I think you actually did answer the question is <laughs> I don't need to read three hours a day to have this feeling of closeness yeah. with the Lord. Yeah. I can create this in a way that's pleasing to him and in a way that's more appropriate for me. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. More is not always better, you know? Correct. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting. And I I read this book. I'm trying to see if I have it here on my shelf about George Albert Smith, um, the prophet and how he, you know, basically his, you know, he had mental illness, mental health problems, but they didn't really diagnose it because he he was, you know, back in the. I love this example. Yeah. And he reading it, I was like, oh, he has, you know, anxiety, obviously, and probably obsessive compulsive disorder. And, you know, they tried to do ridiculous things to the poor man, you know, like you have to live outside in the back cottage or, you know, all these just crazy things. You have to take time off from being an apostle and all of these things. And I just, it it helped me feel better (laughs) about my own problems because I'm like, okay, even the prophet had this. Um, And I think it allowed him to be more empathetic when he became prophet. You know, he was prophet right after World War II. Um, And so I think you know, having those experiences and having the mental health problems that he did, I think it made him, you know, the prophet he needed to be for that time period, even though it was 
awful and he didn't have the correct treatment because he didn't have it then really. Um, but just mm-hmm. to know like, okay, you know, this, it can be a, a blessing in some ways, like you said, it can be awful too. And so it, it, it is awful, but it can help us learn empathy and learn different skills that, that the Lord can then use to help the kingdom. I don't know. It's, you know, I believe it was George Albert Smith, because uh, as, I, as I was telling you offline, I, I've done such extensive research, sometimes stories cross, so I hope I'm remembering correctly. Uh, and I find it was a missed opportunity when we're studying him as a prophet that they didn't include that in the material right. and how he would actually uh, isolate himself yes. in California for months at a time yeah. to yeah. escape it all and to recover. And yeah. what a benefit that would be to here as a church community, I think, and I, I have no Possibly idea. I'm needed to do that for his mental health. Yeah. Yes. yes. And, and I, I don't want to pretend I know what, what the leadership is thinking when they, when they develop this material, but maybe, maybe my, my only guess is maybe they don't want us to have a, a negative light uh, on George Devil Smith, but I, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I thought that would be so. And so when I teach yeah. that lesson that I, I sometimes get asked to teach, I make sure I include Right. That it's like, oh my goodness, isn't he more relatable now? Right. Isn't I mean, isn't it make you feel good? Yeah. I mean, I even think about, you know, Christ when he had to go, you know, and he would like go up into the mountains and pray um by himself. I'm like, yeah, like I relate to that, like needing to get away from all of the people and all the things going on around you and just have the solitude. And I'm like, yeah, yes. I, I can and I can relate to that. Or just, you know, like being asleep in the boat and like, go take care of yourselves, you know, <laughs> like solve the problem on your own. Absolutely. You know, I think it, it does, it humanizes everyone, you know, these these leaders. Um and yes. just, you know, the thing is it's sad, but like you said, there's such like a negative perception of mental illness, not just in the church, but in the church, but everywhere, you know. And so, and of therapy and things like that. And people think, well, I'm not being good enough more, you know, I'm not praying enough if I'm depressed, you know, like if you're unhappy, you're just not being a good enough, you know, Latter-day Saint. And you hear that a lot, you know, like, like these, you just have to pray it away or, you know, fast more, pull up your bootstraps. Um, And it's, it's not, that's not the right way to to deal with this. And um, I think it's it's hard to change that, you know, demographic of the, the church and of society um, that thinks that like mental illness is a personal weakness it is. because it's it's not it's not a, it's not a sin. It's not a weakness. Um, it's a real thing. Just like if you had cancer, or if you had, you know, endometriosis or, you know, whatever. Um, it's it's a real illness. Yeah, but. To your, your earlier point, I'm going to come back to that other question is when we do seek help. Mm-hmm. So let's step out of even the LDS community right now. Let's talk about the medical community. Yeah. It's I, I remember, uh, so I'm putting the pieces together myself over the years. And I, I had a nervous breakdown. Oh, I don't remember the year now. It might have been around 2006 or seven. Yeah. And uh I thought I was, so your story about heart attack hit home for me because yeah. I remember checking myself in and thought I was dying. I, at that time I was also t- uh, 265 pounds. I was, and so I thought I was prime heart attack, right. whatever. And I checked myself in and they did the whole, all the tests and they're like, you're fine. I says, right. I am not fine. 
And yeah. they looked at me like I was crazy, like yeah. get out of here. And, yeah. and I felt like it was more of just, they were protecting themselves from liability to right. keep me there. And, uh, and, and I was of course feeling a lot of shame. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. I, I, I am, exactly. I, yeah. it's my, the I'm, I, I you can't even describe people who have right. had a severe panic attack understand. Um, and that's what it ended up being, but there was no, no one sat me down and says, look, what we believe is happening here in how we think we can help this. I realize it was an emergency, urgent care facility, but that also goes to the point. Our, our society, we're, we're now in 2020. And even with me having a nervous breakdown last year in 2020, yeah. the help and the insight, and I'm a mental health therapist and, and I was struggling yeah. to identify right. what was happening. And it's always harder when it's happening to you, right. but uh, to be able to identify it and to get the help, it's, it's just like, here, take, take this or Klonopin or, or whatever. Let's just calm you down and, and get you home. And then as you talk about in the book, and this is where my next question is, is, is how it, it, it's one thing to uh, identify that you may have a problem. And then another to find a therapist who yeah. really knows how to deal with this. And as a therapist, yeah. I struggle to find people who are adequately trained okay. to get to, to, to refer people to yeah. what was your process. And I know you brought it up a yeah. little bit in your book, but yeah. how did you find the right therapist for you? Yeah. I mean, luck really, <laughs> but um, it's true. It's true. It's true. Um, you know, I was having this at the time it was contamination OCD that mm -hmm. got really bad. Um, mm -hmm. And my husband was like, this is not normal. Um, you need help. And I was like, no, no, I'm fine. I can do that. You know, I, I am a strong person. I don't need help. And he's like, no, you need help. Um, so I was really blessed with a husband who was really supportive and had a, a family with mental illness. And so he could recognize this and, you know, not take no for an answer really. He's like, no, you need help. So I was like, I was too, involved or too emotionally upset to even call doctors which a lot of people you know are at that point mm -hmm. when we're going through a breakdown like you, you can't like you're not like okay let me go research all the different doctors that i could go to like no you're like you're having a breakdown so i was lucky he he started calling the doctors and you know oh, wow. it was to the point where he was like even calling like the in care yeah people like can she can, can she come in and stay there you know um and they're like no we're full or you know oh no we don't have any appointments for two months and he's like this is not you know we need something now and so he called someone a doctor in seattle we were living on an island in the puget sound at the time um near seattle oh, wow. but um he called the doctor in seattle and he's like you know my wife's having a really hard time with this and he's like well you know we have there we have a, a group session tonight that she could come to and i had a cancellation I have a cancellation the next day too for an appointment. So it was just like totally random, right? That he called this yeah. doctor that day at that time and the cancellation. So I was very lucky. I was very lucky. And he, um, you know, I went to the group and that's when I was like, oh yeah, this is what I have. Um, and then, yeah, we, I went to him for the appointment and he told me, you know, go to your GP, your general doctor and get on medication for now because it will help you in the in the meantime to you know calm down um 
and then we'll work on the therapy once you can like, you know, you're, you're well enough that you can actually do the exposure therapy and do the things that you need to do. So I went to my other doctor, got the medication. Um, then I went home for Christmas to my parents' house with our family. And I was like suicidal, basically, you know, like having suicidal thoughts because of, I don't, you know, everything. Yeah. And so I was like, I can't, I can't go back to, to this island where we lived because it's like, dirty and, you know, contamination. Um, and so we, we flew home and drove to Portland and started looking at houses down there um, to move because we were building a house on Vashon Island. Um, but we're like, we need something better in the meantime. Um, that's closer to therapy because I didn't want to take like a ferry and then drive a half hour to go to the therapist every week. You know, <laughs> it's like, that is, uh, you know, a two hour commute is too much. So, you know, we were, we were lucky enough that we could do that. And we, we bought a house down near Portland. Um, and so I came back to my therapist and I'm like, we're moving. He's like, what? <laughs> like, what are you doing? I'm like, no, you know, like we, I, we need to move. It's, 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 you know, various reasons. And so he said, well, I have a friend down there, you know, another therapist in Portland and I will, I will oh, wow. transfer you over there. And so I was like, oh, great. He's like, he's like, he's, he's me, but in Portland. So I was like, okay, that's fine. That's great. So I moved down there and I met with him and he was great. You know, he was like, we, we hit it off even better than I did with the one in Seattle. And I don't know, we just, I met with him every week at first and was able to make progress on the things that were really bad. You know, we started with the contamination, which was really the one that was awful for me. And then once that was kind of under control, then he looked and said, okay, now what else, what else is the OCD touching? And then we were able to go to, you know, the scrupulosity or the, the hit and run OCD or whatever, you know, there's all these different subtypes, but wow. it was just luck. Um, and so I feel really lucky uh, that, that I had that experience and, and it's been really hard to, now, you know, I, I didn't keep going, you know, I stopped going to see him once I was better, you know, and, um, and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm doing so well with this whole, you know, the behavioral therapy, uh, you know, I know what to do now. This is great. So I'm like, I'm going to go off my medication. You know, I'm not, I don't need to see my therapist very much. I know what I'm doing now. And I had a total breakdown, <laughs> like while I was writing the book, like total, um, wow. you know, like right back where I was basically. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, I know what I'm supposed to do. Like you, you know, you're a therapist. You're like, I know the tools, but I can't use them myself. Like what is going on? Um, and my friend that had to come and she checked me. Let, in. let me, let me pause you for a second. Yeah. Let, let me pause you for a second. Cause this, I think this is important to emphasize to those people who, who don't experience this yeah. uh, when they're trying to be loving and supportive that um, there's, you know, one of the things I discovered really quick, I understand all the concepts, techniques, and tools with right. grounding, with mindfulness. Yeah. Uh, but when your brain gets into a place of ruminating, yes, no amount of grounding, mindfulness, breathing techniques. Now, I, yeah. help. And, and I, I want to say that with a caveat. I, I'm not saying yeah. that you it, it's not going to be helpful. Don't, don't do it. Yeah. You, you definitely do it. I'm not saying don't do it, right. but when your, your loving network, your family, your support system is, is getting frustrated saying, aren't you doing this or you need to do this. Yeah. I think it's important for them to remember because it may help you in, in get you into a good place. It does help us, but it's not the solution. 
And it's probably not as effective as, as it may be for you. Is that your experience? Yeah. You know, it, for me, it was like, yeah, I knew, I knew what I should be doing, but I was like, no, I, I think it was pride too. Like, I don't want to have to go back to the therapist and tell him I failed, you know, uh, yes, um, yes. I know what I should be doing, but I just, I can't do it. Um, my brain is just like, nope, nope, you know, this is So you couldn't even get there. You, your brain yeah. wouldn't let you even do it. Yeah. And so I had a friend, the friend who had a OCD and that I mentioned earlier, um, and she was like, I'm taking you to the hospital because, mm. you know, like I would tell her things like, you know, about like going on a walk. I'm like, I, I could just walk out into traffic right now. You know, like wouldn't matter. She's like, I'm taking you to the hospital because that is not normal thoughts to have. Um, and so I went, you know, and yeah, they gave me some, some drugs. And then the next day I went to my doctor and got back on medication. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's hard. And I think it's, even now, like I'm not going to the therapist regularly and I'm like, Oh, I don't need to go to the therapist, but I should, I should, um, even not like every week, but I should, I should check in once a month or once every three months. The accountability is so important. And, um, and that's what keeps me like on track. Like I'm on medication now again, still, and that's like keeping me fine. But if something happened, you know, something major, I would, I would probably have another break. You know, I would probably go back to the same spot. Um, and so it's, it's really hard. It's, you know, it's a constant, it's a lifelong. Understood. Yeah. And medication doesn't always work as well as it used to. And so, you know, you have to have these tools in your toolbox and recognize like, okay, I can't do this on my own. <laughs> Yeah. I so I want to be uh, I want to be respectful of your time. I have so yeah. many thoughts and questions. Yeah. Are you okay if we go yeah. go beyond the hour? Yeah. Because uh, we have even in what you don't really address in the book yeah. is how this affected your your intimate relationship yes. with with yeah. your your husband and okay. not just sexually but no, yeah. connection in all of it. Yeah. Are you comfortable in exploring yeah. that? For sure. I mean, <laughs> I laughed because I remember these instances and to me, they were like, oh my gosh, like life and death. But now I'm like, what was I doing? But um, when I had the contamination OCD, you know, he would like take the laundry downstairs or something, let's say. And I would say, you have to go wash your hands. Mm -hmm. I was like, why? I'm like, because you touched the dirty laundry. And he's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm like, then you're not going to sleep in the bed tonight. He's like, what? I'm like, no, you have to sleep on the couch unless you wash your hands. And he's just like, what are you talking about? You know, so things like that, um, like, or even just touching, you know, like he would go by and, you know, pat me on the, the bum or something. And I'd be like, what are you doing? Don't touch me. Like, don't touch me there. Like, he's like, what? Like, what's the problem? Like, just, uh, you know, so these just like little things that are just, you know, natural, you know, husband and wife things. I'm like, whoa, you know, I'm thinking like, this is wrong. This is you're dirty. This is awful. Um, and yeah, even, even sex, I was like, whoa, this is dirty. Like we can't, you know, like it was very like, we have to have it on a certain sheet or, you know, you know, have sex in a certain time or what, you know, like I take off my garments and my underwear. I have to like, fold them and put them in a, a spot or put them on like a Kleenex because they're dirty. Um, and it really ruins the, mo the moment you know, <laughs> to be like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? You know, like, or if you touch, you know, if you touch anything, you have to go wash your hands. Um, 
and so yeah, it really it really does affect your intimacy and your your relationship with your your spouse because in your mind you're like this is totally logical and this is what I have to do to maintain my sanity and to them they're like what is going on like this is not okay. Um so yeah, it's it's really hard on spouses and children too. I was like I'm not going to color with my kids cuz they touched the markers and maybe they didn't wash their hands after they went to the bathroom. So I'm not going to color with them or I'm not going to like sit on the floor with them because the floor is dirty or, you know, just all, all of these things would factor into it. And it really changed my whole relationship with, with my whole family. Oh yeah. <laughs> so with, because, because, because my group is focused on intimacy yeah. uh, specifically, how, what do you do now? Uh, yeah. Do you feel like sex is now pleasurable for you? Or I guess I made an assumption. It sounds like sex was not a pleasurable experience no, before. No, it was kind of like a. Do you feel uh, like you? It is now. You know, it's it's not totally better. Like I've tried to be to be better about it, but there's still it like becomes a habit um, when you do these things often enough. Um, and mm-hmm. so, like even without thinking about it, I'm like, okay, like. We're going to move over to your side of the bed if we're going to have sex because I don't want to get my side dirty. Like still, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. so, and I try. I'm to, glad you could laugh about it. <laughs> I try not to be obvious about it, but you know, I'll scoot over or whatever. Um, or I'll be like, I'll look like where he puts, where he puts, you know, the underwear. Uh, when, <laughs> like, okay, is it in a good spot? Okay, we're good. Um, because, you know, luckily we've talked about it. We were interviewed uh, for Vice on this topic ocd and um intimacy so you can look that up um but we'll include the link and it was really good actually he was in the conversation obviously and it was like it was like couples therapy just talking it out and him saying okay this is this bothers me when you do this and i was like really you know so i think um couples need to be able to to open up to each other about that about sex and like, what is, what are problems or, you know, issues that each person has, because it's really healthy, actually. Um, and I think we don't talk about it at church because we're like, that is a private thing, you know, and we, you know, I'm Mormon and I can't do this. And um, like, we can't talk about it or we can't, you know, use sex toys or whatever, you know, whatever people think, because we don't talk about it. We have all these like assumptions of what we can and can't do, I think, or should and shouldn't do. But really, is that even like you know, a thing. I don't know, you know, like using sex toys. Like I was like, I can net, no, we don't do this. Like, no, like it's fine. But so like these things that we've had to work on and still work on, but talking about it and being open about it with, with some random stranger actually really helped us to, to come to terms and to be like, okay, you know, we need to be better at this. Or I need to be better at it and not let the OCD take over that and be okay with having again. Yeah. Yeah, with you know, it's it's okay. Yes, uh, again, I feel good about this, <laughs> which for some reason I never did. Well, you, know. you bring it up again. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's interesting because it's again the taboo and the somehow some someone predefined we're not supposed to talk about certain things. Like my, my wife was just telling me, she was at book club and they brought up Emily Nagowski, one of Emily Nagowski's books, which is great about female pleasure. Yeah. And one of the people says, let's, let's do that for our book club. And, and she was excited. She says, it's changed my relationship for the better. Yeah. And 
and the response and and again i'm not i'm not criticizing anybody there i wasn't there but the the immediate the automatic response was like uh no gross we don't talk about that thing and it's like oh we're feeding the problem yeah. we're feeding the problem and we're not allowing ourselves to identify well i know i could have pleasure but i'm not allowed to talk about it and yeah. if we don't talk about it how do we learn about it? Yeah. I mean, it's how do, we learn, like, how do we even know? Yeah. What it is, you know, what? Yeah, no, exactly. Even like with sex toys, it's like, yes, absolutely. So is, has that been a helpful thing for you? Has incorporating, uh, uh, tools. I like to call them sex tools. tools. <laughs> toys makes it sound, which there's nothing wrong with saying toys, but yeah, from no. a therapeutic mind, it's like, it's a tool. It's to help you. <laughs> no, and it has. And, um, just my husband wasn't always active at church. And so I was not his first sexual partner. We'll say, um, and I was like very worried about that at first. It was like, I don't know anything about this. And you, you know, I could be very bad and he would know, you know, cause I'm not the only person he's been with. But, um, so, you know, so then I was also like, oh, well, is this just because, you know, you weren't always active in church. So that's why it's okay to do these, or you think it's okay to do these things. Um, but no, it is it's fine. Um, and yeah, the tools have been very helpful. Um, and you know, but it has taken me a while to be like, okay with it or to be okay with like, you know, doing it myself. Um, you know, yes. not just when he's there, you know, things like that, like having pleasure, like, is has it that been helpful for you? Allowing you to be in your own space and to, yeah. does that help manage your anxiety so that you don't feel like you're having to perform for anybody just yeah. yourself. Yeah. You know, and I, yeah, I always used to be like, okay, well when he's, when he's done, then it's like, we're done. And, but now I'm like, no, now it's, now it's my turn. And so we'll use the tool, you know, we'll use the tool and it's. And, toy's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really, it really has helped me. Like, you know, this is, it's not just for him that this needs, no. this is for pleasure. Like I should also have, enjoy this. And it can be really stress reducing as well for me and not just like a stressful occasion. Like, okay, I have to like, you know, be good for him. And then he, you know, he gets his pleasure and then like, we're done. Like, no, it's, it's not just a one way thing. You know, we're, we're not the tool, the women, (laughs) like we, we also deserve to have pleasure. Yes. And that's something that took so long for me to realize. And also to even like allow myself to get to that point of orgasm like my body was always just like no 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 no," you know like I can't lose control because of my my mental illness and my you know my health like I have to always be in control I can't like not know what's going to happen or you know and so yeah just like being able to let that go the the way you just phrased that there yeah the way you just phrased that I can't let myself lose control Mm -hmm. I have heard that from many many women in counseling that they feel like when they're on the verge of orgasm, yeah. they're losing control. I clearly can't identify as yeah. a woman yeah. uh, in what you're experiencing, but that was that was a very triggering uh, word or, or, or phrase for me. As I'm listening, I'm thinking, "Oh my goodness!" I'm and I, I want to be careful. I'm not. I don't want to no, uh, yeah. do a broad stroke of scrupulosity across everyone who may have experienced yeah. it that way. But that does sound like possibly a symptom of. I'm, I'm losing control. I, yeah. What's going to happen here? What do you think? I think it is. I think, I know, I think you're right. And I think, I don't know. Yeah. I was just like, I can't, 
it, it was it's very real like even every time really i'm like okay you have to like make a decision like it's okay it's okay to lose to to not be in control experience it experience it yeah and then you get like past that point you're like oh okay this is what this is what they're talking about like this you know um but if you don't get past that point you never never get past that point you know and yes. you don't realize what is on the other side of it um and so yeah it's it's a huge it's a huge thing and it can be so so good for for women i was reading a book about like hormones you know for women like it's called the hormone cure and it talks about that too like that women need to have this time you know where they're just massaged there you know like it's really helpful actually yes. for our mental health and i was like oh okay you know and i was like telling my husband he's like oh, you know i'll do that that's great <laughs> like, like i will help you with that whatever you want like we'll have our massage time um but just realizing like, you know, it's not bad. I think so much in church we're taught like, this is bad, you know, because just growing up, it's like, it's bad, bad, bad until you're married and then it's great and fine. But we're not going to talk about it or what you do or what it's supposed to feel like at all. Ever. Exactly. And it's not, it's not healthy. Very good point. It's not healthy to be like that, to have it be such no. a taboo. And then suddenly it's fine. Like our brains can't really process that. You know, it takes that's that's yeah. One of the hardest things for me to communicate with people who I I don't even I wouldn't diagnose as scruple uh, having scrupulosity yeah. is is just a general cultural yeah. belief is once you get married everything's okay and no it's not the exception yeah. uh, the exception is not the rule and and I I'm not going to throw a percentage out there I have no idea. But I have yet to see that be the case where, yes, marriage is now, you get to, you, you understand your body and you're experiencing the full benefits of it. No, no, not at all. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what's down there. You know, like my husband's like, what? Like, what, what are you doing? And you're not alone. I, 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 we we now have family discussions. Prudish. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's such a blessing. We have family discussion. Now, I have three girls and they're all married. And one of the most, uh, and be, believe it or not, it's one of the most, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not humble, but uh, I'm proud. I, it feels so good when we're even at the dinner table, just us family. And we're talking about, in a very appropriate way, but very open about marital sex and what it looks like. And and how we can improve. We're, we're, we're not crossing boundaries or anything. Well, people might be listening and say, you've already crossed a boundary. No, the fact that we can openly discuss that is a good thing. That, oh, you know, have you considered this? This may help. All of our bodies are different. And we go through phases. Like you talked about having a hysterectomy in your book. My wife has had a hysterectomy. That changes the body dramatically. What does sex look like after a hysterectomy? No one talks about that. And now we do. We should. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it's it's such an important part of our of our lives. And not in a, you know, not in a gross way. But we think of it like, ooh, you know, like, I don't know, especially probably women who've grown up LDS were just like, Ooh, you don't talk about that. You know, that's not okay. okay. Like your wife's book club, like, Ooh, no, no, we're not going to do that. But, um, I'll do it in private in my closet where no one yeah, sees me. Yeah. I won't tell anyone. Maybe. Yeah. Um, and I had a, my, my former sister-in-law, um, since divorced, but she was very open with these things. And so after we got married, she was like, okay, what, what's going on? 
you know, like they let us use their hotel room, like right after we got married, before we went on our honeymoon, <laughs> you know, like they're very, Ooh. very open. She's very open. So she's like, yeah, like use the tools. Like this helps so much. And I was like, what? we can, like, we're allowed to do that. Yes. She's like, yeah. Yes. I'm like, okay. So just like having people be open about it really, yeah, it changed my view. Like, oh, okay. Other people are doing this. It was not just oh, you know, in the dark or, you know, <laughs> sneaking around. Absolutely. Anymore. I so I, I want to be respectful of your time. And I, I, I have so many thoughts and questions and maybe, maybe someday we'll, we'll have you back. I, I'm, I'm excited to hear the reception uh, on this podcast. Um, but the, the final question maybe I, I have for today is this is a difficult experience. Like we were talking about at the beginning, how, first of all, how to recognize right. uh, that this is an issue. Yeah. Uh, and then how, how can family best support us? Mm -hmm. What would you recommend uh, that people can do? What, what, what is the best way to, I realize there's a, there's a broad experience here, like one, being able to identify you have a problem, but let's, let's take it from a place of, well, you're welcome to go with it wherever you want, but I'm thinking specifically, how does a spouse help you now? How do they best support you? Yeah. I mean, now? that is, it's really difficult with OCD. Um, first of all, they need to research themselves, you know, research it themselves and understand what's going on. Um, you know, if you're going to therapy, like have them come with you to a session and talk oh. to the therapist about like, okay, what should I do in these situations? Um, because we look to our spouses a lot of times for reassurance, which is a compulsion too. like, are my pants dirty? Can you look, can you tell me if they're dirty or not? And if they're like, no, you're fine. Okay. I'm fine. For, for five minutes or something. And then you ask again, like, are you sure? Um, and so, but, and as they provide that reassurance, they're just, really making the OCD worse, even though we're like, no, it feels better. It's really, it's, it's not good. So They're enabling it, it's enabling it. Yeah. And so they have to understand that that is, um, that is a bad thing to do. You know, you think like you're supporting your spouse, you're helping, you're helping them by saying, no, you're okay. You're fine. But really that is, that's not what they should be doing. It seems counterintuitive. So I think if the spouse like knows that also, and, and it doesn't say, I'm not allowed to tell you, but like, what would your therapist say about that? You know, what do you think? We call him Dr. Bob, my therapist. Like, what would Dr. Bob say? Would he, would he want me to tell you that? I'm like, oh, okay. You know, it's like, it's not that I don't love you. It's just, you know, this is, this is for your own good. So you have to stand up sometimes to the person who has OCD if you're the spouse, I think, which can be really difficult. Um, but as long as they like understand that that's what you're doing and you're not just being a jerk, that's important too. Um, do you, do you have some sort of plan or, or did you, you both discuss yeah. possible solutions or approaches? So you, you come up with it beforehand yeah. so that it doesn't feel so abrupt or whatever in the moment. Yeah. Okay. Like, okay. I'm not going to give you reassurance anymore. I'm like, okay. Like, you know, this is, it's your, it's your deal. You don't, you don't have to do this. And so, yeah, just being really supportive, um, supporting, like going to therapy. Like, I mean, it can be hard, especially if you have little kids, like who's going to watch the kids? You know, my husband was really supportive. Luckily he worked from home. So we were lucky, but you know, he, he was sometimes, I was like, mom, come over and babysit or something when I had to go to therapy because he knew it was important. So not demeaning your spouse for getting help. Um, which I see sometimes, you know, husband's like, Oh, you don't need therapy. Oh, absolutely. Um, no, like support that support them getting the help that they need. And, 
you know, yeah, don't just say, oh, stop, you know, just get better, you know, make yourself think, you know, what you're supposed to do. You can't, you can't do that. You can't force yourself out of a mental illness. So I think just the the support for spouses and parents and knowledge, like my mom, she, she read a book about like how, you know, supporting your loved one with OCD. Um, I know, uh, what is his name? Hirschfield has a great book about that, like family members and OCD. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, if they read those books, it's, you know, I would see her reading that and like, oh, that's just, you know, she's trying to help me. She, you know, and, and it it will help them. Um, don't make jokes about it. Like my dad would still like send me like stupid jokes, like, oh, I'm so OCD. I'm like, dad, like, you know, look about this. So yeah, you know, just be supportive and understanding what what they're going through. (laughs) I love it. Thank you, yeah. Carrie. This has been such a pleasure, and I—I I wish I had discovered you uh, when you first wrote it. This is—I know I'm an introvert. This is such a good experience as well as I should have. <laughs> oh, that's quite all right. I, I, it's more I—I'm disappointed that our community, and, and maybe it's just me. Maybe I wasn't aware. Maybe it was being uh, talked about a lot, and I just didn't pick up on it. But I want to—I want to remind the audience, listeners, this is this is a real thing. Uh, scrupulosity. Uh, is a real thing. And scrupulosity is so hard to detect because it's it's not as apparent as traditional OCD, if I could call it that. You, you don't see somebody washing their hands 50 times a day. Well, Carrie, that, that's also part of your mental health yeah, issues. Is I was there. Yeah. <laughs> contagion and, and, and whatnot. A lot of what I see is it, an absence of mm-hmm. traditional OCD. It's, it's spiritual OCD, which is scrupulosity. <laughs> And it is a very real thing. And I, I guess maybe in summary, if you're concerned or think, okay, do I have this? Uh, you know, some, some things I've noticed, at least with people, clients that I've worked with is when, when you feel like you have to go and routinely repent to get that good feeling again, that's a good indicator that you may be dealing with scrupulosity. If you don't feel like you can have or build that relationship with the Lord and create those feelings on your own, that you need that mediator. Um, that's not an absolute statement. I think definitely there's a role that leadership takes. But if you find, I, often I hear what people will say, um, I, I think I need to go clear this again. Maybe I didn't tell them everything or or I repented, but oh my goodness, I, I, I need to go. You know, I see this with missionaries too. And it sometimes is created in the mission field where you're living this righteous I, I want to be careful with that word. Obedience you're really, exactness. Oh, exactness. It, I won't equate it to righteousness. Yeah. We, we create this rigidity that gives this reward mm-hmm. for living this rigid life. Again, I'm emphasizing the rigidity isn't necessarily a problem. It's how we're defining that relationship with the Lord mm-hmm. and, and requiring that inter- uh, that that act to yeah. create it. Um, I, I wish there was a better definition of it, but it is prevalent. Yeah. And if you're concerned about it, pick up Carrie's book uh, and study and research those topics. It, her book is excellent. Uh, but even even you mentioned in the book, a lot of what your where your help came from is you personally doing the research mm-hmm. and and finding the right right therapist eventually uh, was helpful. Uh, there is hope, there is help and and uh, reach out. Ask questions. Thank you so much, Carrie. You're very welcome. Thanks for talking to me. <laughs>